Hi guys, and welcome to another conversation in finance with Dan.、Um, I've got a very special guest from Queensland, Tracy Fields,、uh, head of third party from Oswald Bank. Hi, Hi. Dan. How are you? Well, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that as you know, I'm, just, I'm still in Victoria、uh, in stage four lockdown, which has been extended.、Um, but how are you in Queensland?、Sunny、I'm.、Uh... Yeah, oh, actually, no. We've had a few.、Um, it's been a bit chilly the last couple of days, and、uh, we had a little bit of rain yesterday.、Um, yeah. I've spoken to、uh, one of my girls actually this morning on the Sunshine Coast, and she's、um, uh, she was quite despondent that to complete her ten、uh, thousand steps for the September challenge that we're in, she、yeah. had to go to the gym, so she wasn't able to walk walk along the beach on the sunny coast this morning. So my heart bled、oh, for her terribly.、Uh, I I <laughs> I'll just get out my little violin. Uh, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so when you said cold, how cold is it up there? Oh, look, it's it's obviously nothing compared to what you guys uh, are uh, have to deal with every day. And look,、mm. I do have to admit something. I、um, I'm born and bred、uh, down in Victoria. So ah, there you go. Yeah, many 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 years ago,、um, mm. and I I actually have got、uh, some relatives still down in Victoria. In fact, I've got a、um, an uncle who is、uh, has been a broker. For many many years down there, and、mm-hmm. um, I do take the opportunity、uh, when I visit down there to catch up with them, which is、uh, always a wonderful treat. So,、um, well, there I, you go. Yeah, so I do understand clearly,、um, and also obviously I've got one of my、um, one of my BDMs or my BRMs down there in Victoria,、um, trying to work through、uh, the challenges that you guys are facing、um, mm-hmm. in stage four. So,、um, yeah, I'm certainly up to date with some of the the things that are going on down there, and I can.、Um, Definitely sympathise. It's no. It's certainly not easy. That's for sure. Nice.、Right, well, well, thank you.、Uh, and just on a side note,、uh, I, I I actually grew up in New Zealand, so、uh, it's even colder than Victoria. <laughs> yeah,、uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about Tracy today. So, um, like with most of my interviews, um, what I wanted to do is obviously introduce you to the wider finance and coffee community. Uh, as、sure. well as the、uh, the wider audience who may be tuning in to podcasts, apparently people in the US are listening,、uh, and apparently there's this one percent of my audience is actually in Vietnam listening. So、uh, <laughs> hello for Vi- yeah. YouTube guys in Vietnam. That's、um, awesome. That's fantastic、yeah. news for you. Well done. No, thank you.、Um, so, but ha- let, let's let's have a chat about you in terms of how did you how did you fall into finance, or was, was it an accident, or was it something that was you know you, you actually Plan to do it? No. Well, it's actually a really funny story. I was、uh, in grade、uh, in grade eleven, and、uh, my my home economics teacher was also my、uh, senior mistress at home、uh, at high school.、Hmm. And、um, home economics really wasn't my favourite topic, and I was a bit bored. And I was sitting there filling out an application. Um, for the ANZ Bank, and、uh, I, w- I was obviously, and I was trying to do that quite discreetly so that I wouldn't get in trouble <laughs>、yeah. for not doing my home economics、um, yeah. in the class. And she sort of walked past me and then looked back and caught me filling out this application for、uh, ANZ Bank, and、um, and she said to me, she said,、um, she said, oh, are you interested in banking? And I said, well, it's got to be better than school. And、um, <laughs> yep. so, so she took that on board. But I submitted my、um, submitted my application. She and she、um, she came back and had a chat to me. Now I didn't know at the time, 
um, but mm. her husband was actually a regional manager or, or an area manager, I think they called it way back in those days, for ANZ Bank. And mm. um, there was myself and a, another girl um, uh, from the same high school and uh, we got shortlisted um, for a uh, for a starting role with the ANZ Bank at Bribe Island, and we were both we both ended up successful um, in wow. getting a job. Now, my um, so I was actually seventeen when I started, and I'm uh, I'm not going to tell you how many years. Well, just give away too it, many it, secrets. It, it, it doesn't matter. You you just made me feel like a loser because at seventeen, <laughs> I don't think I I knew what I was doing to be honest. Oh look, it was um it was one of the craziest things. But I will give away my age because uh, I started as what they used to call an Amanza clerk. So an Amanza and batching clerk. So my job was to go through and make sure that every debit voucher had a credit voucher sitting behind it and I used to have to go through and bundle all of those up and so that when they got into the city and they went through the big proofing machines um, that encoded them with the BSB numbers and all that kind of stuff, um, they were all in the right order sequentially yeah. um, for the processing in the big computers and all that sort of stuff. So that's where I started and um, you know that was uh, really not that interesting but it was a good place to start. So. Everything, I guess, in my experience has always been from the ground up, which um, has served me so well, um, you know, throughout my career. And um, and it's something that I do enjoy is making sure that I understand um, a lot of the processes and a lot of the reasons why and um, making sure that there's common sense as best as I can with what I'm involved in and, and my thought process with some of those things. But um, so, yeah, so that's how I kind of started. Um, wow. As, yeah, it was so, ANZ at Privy Island. Okay, so uh, number one, you made me feel like a loser. Uh, number two, <laughs> uh, you, you you kind of caught me off guard because usually usually people uh, I interview uh, um, tell me that they accidentally fell into banking, which you, you didn't. You sort of started there, right? Did you do anything yeah. else, or, or was it, or was um, yeah, it just yeah. a straight line finance? No, the whole way? no, um, no, it wasn't. I um, predominantly my finance career. Um, so it, my career went through finance for um, quite a number of years, and um, but it diversified a little bit. So I stuck with the ANZ Bank for quite some time, um, mm. many years, and I was on relief staff. And when they brought in the good old-fashioned RDOs, when everybody got excited about doing a nine-day fortnight, <sighs> I was on a relief staff for that. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was one of the best things that ever came out in banking was, oh, my God, we only have to work nine days a fortnight. Um, so, And it was even better for us that we're on the relief staff because we got to travel around to a few of the different branches. So we got mm. to meet um, we got to meet a, a lot of our other colleagues, which was great. And um, so I had a regular circuit with that, which, was, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, I kind of, um, I, I moved... Uh, from sort of that, I was very much country girl, so I grew up um, in Sunshine Coast sort of hinterland, so in around Glasshouse Mountains and you know, Caboolture and um, uh, Woodford, Kilcoy, sort of all those sort of regional sort of country areas. Beautiful, beautiful place of the world. Mm. And, um, and uh, you know, went to school there and all that sort of stuff. So it was fantastic um, growing up. But I decided to kind of get out of the small country town and um, I got a little bit over it because everybody kind of knew what you were doing and you couldn't walk down the main street of the town without everybody knowing your business. Sounds, so I like, sounds like Christchurch, New Zealand, to be honest. But yeah, anyway. exactly. Um, so, yeah, it is, it, yeah, very similar. And um, so 
I decided I was going to uh, leave home and do all of that sort of stuff and uh, go up to the Sunshine Coast and do something. I wanted to do something different. So I went and did a little bit of a hospitality course and, and, and really just kind of, you know, did a bit of uh, hospitality work in bars and clubs and uh, that kind of stuff for a while, um, just to get a different landscape on things and and I guess enjoy life a little bit. So yeah, mm. there was lots of uh, lots of beach time with um, with friends, you know. So I think you know we'd start work about two o'clock in the afternoon and do the night shift and mm. and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I had a little bit of no, I suppose you could call it party time, but you know, being that sort of young yeah. um, young adult kind of thing, and then um, that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, and then I had a conversation actually with a friend of mine and um, they sort of said to me, an older person um, and a police officer actually, but not because I was in trouble <laughs> with the law or anything, I just yeah. want to put that out there. Mm. Um, but, um, and he, you know, he sort of said to me, look, you really need to think about, in this day and age, you really need to start thinking about getting serious about things sooner mm. rather than later. And um, so, and he sort of said, you know, focus on what you enjoy and um, and go back to that, you know, and, and do what you really enjoy and make a really good career out of it. And um, so it wasn't long after that. I've, I've always had an interest in property and um, and then it just so happened there was a job going with some um, property finance and in the days it was um, AGC and this was before Westpac bought out the rest of AGC. And um, so I kind of got involved in property finance um, with AGC and then uh, from the ground up with that. So I, I started in, in that as a, um, in their legal department. Um, oh, and do, okay. doing, yeah, doing, doing bits and pieces with that. I sort of did a bit of uh, relief, um, maternity relief for them on the Sunshine Coast. And, and then they sort of, when that finished, they called me up and said, look, hey, how would you feel about working in Brisbane? And, you know, we've got this job down there and we'd love to keep you, you know, back still with the company. So mm. um, I decided, yep, great, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so I started in their legal department down there and, um, uh, and relocated down to Brisbane, which was, you know, that was moving to the big smoke for me. So that, mm. was, um, that was kind of exciting. And um, so, yeah, so at 21, I was um, back down living in Brisbane and starting on this whole kind of new career. And this was in the days as well too. God, I really am showing my, my age. Um, this was in the days when, when um, part of that role, we had to actually go and do title searches in the titles office. So we, we, we used to have all of our volume and folio numbers listed out on a yeah. requisition sheet. And then um, we would hand that over the counter and um, then they would give us these great big books, you know, that were just... Um, you know, duplicates of the original certificates of title, and and mm. and in some ways there was, um, it, you know, I used to enjoy that because there was quite a lot of beauty to the old script writing, and then the history of the property was all captured on the document, and um, you know, it was quite quite good in that regard. But mm. um, so yeah, so I did that for a little while, and then as a part of that role, became you know a settlement clerk. So this is when everybody, you know, all the youngies used to do the settlements, and we. We'd all make sure our settlements were done and dusted by sort of two thirty in the afternoon, and then uh, we'd have the rest of the afternoon uh, debriefing yep. um, at the uh, at the at the closest venue. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, it was the good old days of finance, right? And yep. then, um, and so then, of course, um, in that space, obviously, the recession came in uh, with all of that. Westpac bought out the rest of um, of AGC, and you know, they tightened tightened credit policy down uh, that hard that that we just couldn't do any of our lending and. 
What's really interesting is some of these people that I now see around like um, like Forrester, uh, Forrester Kurtz and uh, some of the big um, divine groups and um, some of the, the places up here that have done the big developments um, like Roma Street Parklands. You know, we, we were dealing with those guys at AGC and Property Finance when they were just doing their very first development. So it's kind of nice to see to see where they are now and, mm. and to see that evolution and, and how that sort of all panned out. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of cool. Um, and then when all of that struck, um, you know, I was obviously um, with my partner at the time and um, he'd sort of started a little bit of a business um, off on the side and um, I, um, you know, invariably got roped into doing the bookkeeping and doing the bits and pieces. Yep. Um, Without much choice in the background, and um, and I kind of got to the. <laughs> and it's one of those things, right? It's almost yeah. like there's, you know, because your partner's doing it, something's like, oh yeah, you'll do that for me, won't you? Yeah. And um, you know, it's this. Uh, you do it out of love because you certainly don't get any payment for it. But yeah. um, um, so we kind of um, so when all of this happened, you know, we had such a credit crunch on, and then there was all these redundancies going on, and it was a terrible. It was just such an ominous, terrible place, um, such a feeling of forebode, you know, mm. foreboding to go into work and it was quite depressing and, you know, I sort of, I sort of had a chat to my partner at the time and, and I just said to him, oh, look, I really, I just, I just really have had enough, I just, I just don't want to be in this environment anymore and, um, and so he said, well, don't, um, he said, you know, come and work for the business and I just, and so of course then I got my independent you know, female hat on and say, well, if I come and work for you, you have to pay me the same money and you have to do this and you have to do that. Yeah, said, yeah. Sure, not a problem. And so uh, so I took a little bit of time out of finance and uh, spent a bit of time in our business, which was um, which was a photocopying, uh, photocopying shop and uh, photocopying print services. Um, wow. Way back in the early days. So we're talking the early 90s here. And, yeah, um, so that'd, that'd be before people just know things as Minuteman or, or even Officeworks now, right? Yeah, so. 100%. So it was well before all of that. And, um, and mm. actually, as a part of the development of our business, we were doing um, a lot of negotiating with Canon Australia. and. Um, we um we were actually one of the first businesses to have their color copiers um uh in in their store so and making that available for people and in the day when we when we leased that first um photocopier it was actually worth twenty five thousand dollars um wow. and that was just one machine and, and by this mm. stage we'd actually managed to get our stores into the university of queensland into um uh, into their union arcade, which was uh, they, yep. the, the unions there, the student unions never used to let any of the retail businesses in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and because of the type of services that we were providing, uh, they sort of made an exception and, and it, it was awesome. It was, it was a great time for us. And, uh, but what I, I find so amazing is that I can, to your point about Officeworks, I can walk into Officeworks now and buy a color laser printer, which is essentially mm. the same thing. I think mm. they're about 500 bucks. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, just how far technology has come in, in that time. And, um, absolutely. You Absolutely, know, I mean, and even cost of use. I mean, for I yeah. remember I, I spent probably twenty dollars a week in photocopying stuff at uni. Exactly. Would you? So, yeah. Had you have been up here, you probably would have been doing that at my shop. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and it was. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't cheap. It was about you know black and white copying at our shop in those days was like seven cents a copy, and to get mm. one color copy, one A4 color copy page was like mm. five dollars fifty. So. 
um, you know, so it's amazing what's happened and what we can do with technology ourselves and how creative we can be and that it's just brilliant. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so so what, yeah. what, uh, what, what took you back into finance then? So what took me back into finance? Um, so we kind of, we went through the process. We, we did what we did for quite a few years very successfully. We started our mm. businesses, you know, off the back of about $20,000 worth of savings. And, and uh, in the end, um, you know, we kind of got to that point where we felt like we were working for, uh, you know, we were working for our staff. I know that sounds kind of corny, but I know that mm. a lot of your people out there um, who do have um, other brokers that work for them or other staff that work for them, you know, mm. those staff will go home at five o'clock in the afternoon. And what we found is that because we'd grown our business so much, we, we were still out there working until, um, mm. you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And, um, mm. you know, by this stage, I'd, um, I'd had a son as well. We'd had a son and he was sort of, um, you know, he was about two, uh, two, three. And, um, you know, any, any, of, any, of the, any of the listeners that are out there um, that have young families and they're juggling young families and trying to build their business and trying to find that work-life balance niche would completely understand this. You know, we were, I was dropping off at daycare and then going to work and doing this whole big, you know, um, uh, round robin of the shops and then taking everything to our commercial centre, then going and picking up my son and then coming back to the commercial centre and continuing to... Um, to work um, until that sort of time frame and it just kind of got the point, you know, well, what are we doing all this for, you know, really? Mm. Mm. And um, so we decided to have a bit of a tree change and we sold the businesses and um, moved back to my hometown, which was brilliant. And uh, we, we diversified a little bit and um, got involved. My, um, my father had a building company, so he was one of the um, first people to um, utilize um, steel for steel framed homes in constructions many many years ago and uh, mm. before new steel homes before all of that he had the engineering and um, and did all of that so we sort of you know went down the path and did a little bit of time with him on that and we got a little bit involved in the tourism industry as well too and um, oh. um, and so my partner actually went and got his um, commercial hot air ballooning license and no I um, yeah yeah totally and um, so we, we kind of went down that um, as a part of the whole life work-life balance and I got heavily involved with um, the Aero Club at Caboolture and uh, mm -hmm. went down the path. Uh, I got roped into, um, uh, I actually got roped into um, to, to becoming an event manager for and putting together an air show. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Okay. I've, I've had quite a different background. <laughs> But you know, these are, it's funny because it's not until you do these kind of things that you kind of realize how much you've done in your life and mm. how, how mm. much it relates. Um, and some of the people that I was involved with at the Aero Club were property developers and, uh, you know, and businessmen, obviously, and really mm. successful businessmen. And so we still talked a lot about finance and, um, and I still had connections, obviously, in the finance world as well. And um, but, you know, we did a lot of work on that air show and we took, um, we took a little community family fun day that had like an attendance of about two and a half thousand to um to uh, a fifty thousand attendance air show wow. that got onto the international platform and um mm. and you mentioned new zealand before um and one of the specialties we had was we actually used to bring a lot of the world war ii warbirds together um at mm. the at the um airfield for that show and um one of the highlights for me was um, was actually bringing uh, across an aeroplane from New Zealand 
it was a uh, World War II um, uh, fighter and it, and it came across from New Zealand. It had never flown in Australia before. It had me- never been out on display. Um, mm. And so, you know, we managed uh, things like that and we were able to bring these experiences um, to the people and, you know, just connecting with a lot of um, a lot of the, the vets and um, just people who were aviation buffs and being able to share that with their families as well. So that was fabulous. And, um, and then the change for me really came about because, um, you know, a change in personal circumstances. So my relationship separated and I kind of went, oh, okay, so, you know, I've got a young son. I found myself as a single mum and I thought, well, you know, I could I could go back to doing keep doing the air show, but it was really just a a, a condensed six months worth of work. Um, mm. You know, there was six months in the planning to run this. You know, sort of um, every every sort of two years, and um, it wasn't enough. I, you know, I didn't. I was lucky that I was in a good financial position. I didn't have to go back to work, but mm. um, I just wanted to be able to offer my son a lot more, and and I just needed, I guess, to contribute a lot more as well. So. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to go back to, to what I know best and what I'm passionate about, which is banking and finance. Um, mm. And so when I sort of, I guess, viewed the landscape, um, the fastest way for me to go back and get in touch with everything that was going on, um, I actually went back, um, I joined Aussie Home Loans. Um, oh, there you and, go. Yeah. So that, so that so, was the first time in the, uh, the brokerage, the, the third party space. Well, no, it wasn't because no. this is no. So this is I really am telling my age. Um, this is in the days when Aussie was still Aussie was Aussie. So they were still very much an independent. They didn't have their broker model. Um, oh. John John Simons used to fly up from Sydney to do our monthly sales meeting, and mm. in those days they had no affinity or affiliation with brokerage of any kind of format. And um, uh, and you know that evolved over time. I mean, the mm. one thing I have to give John Simons credit for is the fact that he um, he was quite astute in being able to evolve his business model. Um, mm. So you know the old saying, "Adapt or die." So he was very good at uh, adaptation, um, and obviously that's where his business model has now led to. But um, mm. yeah, so I sort of went back into um, I went back into Aussie and. Um, uh, and, and that was the consultant model as well. So there was myself and another uh, lady that was there and we were the only two out of 22 consultants in Brisbane that were, were female. Um, so that was a great experience as well too. Mm. We, we had a great time um, and I still have contacts with some of the, the people that I was working with and they are still working for Aussie, some of them today, which is um, amazing. And um, so I've, I've seen those, um, those guys with that throughout my career as well. Um, but yeah, so I did that for about 12 months and then, um, but it was more the mobile model. So mm. that was really a bit of a first taste at, I guess, if you want to look at it being a mobile lender to some degree. And, um, mm. so, and there was a lot of learning out of that. And, um, you know, and so still to some degree that affinity, uh, um, affinity with being a broker or that, that mobile kind of role where, you know, you're going out to people's places or, you know, you're having those meetings, a lot of administrative functions um, because, of course, they didn't provide any of the, the facilities or the services for that. You were still very much on your own and very much independent. Um, hmm. But it was hmm. a great learning curve. It was a great place to learn. It was a great place to get back into the business. Um, and then an opportunity came up for me and uh, that was with Suncorp. And um, so I, I jumped into that and that was uh, as a branch manager um, with Suncorp. Yep. And um, so, and I hung around with Suncorp for 15 years, believe it or not. Um, 
Well, 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 if you if you if you like uh, a, a an organization, then you, you would stay. So, no, yeah, no, I so. did. Hmm, yeah, I did. And if it fits, so. Yeah, and I think um, to be fair, one of the and this is uh, so this is back in two thousand as well too um, when I joined them and um, it was a great culture, um, mm. very 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 customer orientated uh, in those days and um, fantastic culture. Um, joined as a branch manager, and I think the thing that I really enjoyed the most about Suncorp was the fact that you could have such a fantastic career within the organisation because there were so many places that you could go. Given mm. that you know you could go across to the insurance side, you could go into wealth, um, you know, um, you could diversify into a number of different roles. And so, you know, I was a branch manager, then I. I evolved out of that role and went into um, learning and development and became one of their senior credit trainers. So I was traveling around uh, the country, which was great. And it was actually there that I had my first involvement with uh, with third party. Um, oh, so mm-hmm. um, in those days, um, and some of your listeners may remember back in those days, um, and certainly I know, um, and a call out to, um, to Andrew Hill, who was the state manager um, for the intermediaries in... Um, New South Wales and one of my first training sessions with an intermediaries or our third party group was down with um, with Hilly and his team because his um, his assessors actually worked with him uh, down in New South Wales so they were quite decentralized in those days mm. um, and so uh, so I went down uh, there and did some training with uh, with his team um, and did that in Melbourne as well with the intermediaries team down there, um, which was great and obviously did that with the, the Brisbane team. So, um, so I got to know um, a, lot of the, a lot of the BDMs um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the assessors that were assessing the deals for the brokers. So that was really my first taste um, of third party and, um, and I've always, I guess I've always had a, a very healthy respect for um, brokers and, and what they have to deal with and mm. um, you know, it's it's a great solution, providing such a great solution to those customers. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of options for them. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where it started. Um, so that, that was like, like you see, credit. So my, my background yeah. was is, is kind of in the third party space. I was the assessor as well. So uh, yeah, you know, going going from the assessing side, which is the uh, you know, I used to consider myself kind of like a, a gatekeeper. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to protect the bank, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <In a way. laughs> exactly. Uh, but, then, but then jumping from an assessment point of view, or an assessor or credit mm-hmm. coach by itself, into the other side. Yes. Did, did it? Did it? Uh, did it take a bit of adjustment in terms of mind frame, or because uh, um, I'm just thinking back at me, which is it? It, it, it certainly did. <laughs> you know, there's, there's um, obviously. Um, uh, you know, on the sales side, your your your, your mind yeah. frame is a little bit different. Whereas on the credit side, it's, it's very black and white, in a sense. Yeah, look, I, I yeah, look, I, I can understand what you're saying in regard to that. And I think to be, if I'm really really honest, I mm. think the um, I think having that credit background um, and also the 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 credit um, coaching sort of background as well. Um, it served me really, really well because um, from my point of view, so so what transpired, I went out and became a mobile with, with Suncorp as well and I did that for nine years mm. and then, you know, in the scheme of things, there really isn't anywhere to go. And um, I had a very good friend of mine, um, or a couple of friends actually, that were in the organisation that were BDMs. And um, at one stage, the mobiles and the, and the, um, 
and the broker model, they worked together. They were all under one unit. So we mm. got to know some of the BDMs very well. And an opportunity came up where there was a vacancy. And I thought, yeah, you know what? This this is really the next step for me. I really want to get across into this space. Mm. And, and to your question earlier, um, you know, about... Um, seeing opportunity i could see that the way at that time i could see that the way of the future was actually in the third party space mm. um you know that this is the way that things would evolve in uh, in in banking and finance and certainly um a lot more opportunity um in the third party space a lot more business being written by financial institutions um uh, because there was just such a wider audience and, and greater access to more market share than I guess any branch um, could individually provide. Mm. Um, so I jumped on that bandwagon and became a BDM and that's really where all of that background served me really, really well. Um, I was able to have, I guess, a different kind of conversation with my brokers. I could, I could understand um, the scenarios that they were talking about and I, 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 I could understand um, complex lending, I could help them work out the structures, we could we could actually pull a deal apart and work that deal together mm. and um, you know I remember in um, with some of my um, some of my brokers you know literally sitting there talking to them about how to put their submission notes together to present that to a credit manager mm. Mm. Um, you know so that whole kind of coaching factor came in there and yep. say look don't forget talk about this and focus on this and you know and it and it and it was um it was great because i was working with them to get a great outcome for their customer and mm. um you know and obviously having a lens across that deal i was already in a position where i could see that this was the ki kind of deal that we would do and if i was a mobile i would i would submit that deal any day of the week um mm, mm. so um so the, the and the good thing out of that to be perfectly honest was um it allowed me to form some brilliant relationships um, with my brokers and their relationships that I still have today. Um, mm. You know, and I enjoy them thoroughly because we just we just have such great conversations about the industry and the good old days and you know all of you've got that history with them. So um, mm. so it's brilliant. No, I really mm. and it's part of um, having having those relationships. Um, you know, if you can't tell already, I'm I'm really passionate about. Um, about third party and I'm, I'm really passionate about my brokers. I'm very passionate about um, the industry and the opportunity that it provides mm. to our customers. And um, I was always of the, uh, um, I was always of the school that if I couldn't place a deal, um, if I was talking to a broker and I couldn't place a deal um, with, with us, with Suncorp at the time, because that's who I was with, mm. um, you know, I would know who that deal might fit and I would talk to them about look go and have a, a, a you know go and have a chat with with Bill from you know Westpac or whoever it might have been at the time um, because I think that might be something that they can help you with because at the end of the day it's always about the customer that's at the end of that transaction that's the most important thing and irrespective and I still have that philosophy now um, being head of third party with Oswald mm. if it's not a transaction that will fit us um, you know, make sure that we're still taking care of that customer to the best of the ability and talk to the broker mm. about what other solutions might be um, might be there. And, yep. you know, it, it's one thing that, um, that I'm very grateful for. I know that in my experience, so obviously then going, I was a, um, a, a BSM with Connective for a while, so in that aggregator space. Um, and one of the things in that um, that we did notice is that sometimes when you start getting into roles uh, in the third party industry with lenders, you can become um, a little bit uh, out of touch from your frontline 
audience or, or your relationship with your brokers and and that's something definitely in this role for me I'm fortunate because we mm. are a smaller bank and we're, we're a, a, a non-major so um, but it's something that I still thoroughly enjoy is being able to get out there and um, and be in touch with the with my brokers and have conversations with them and speak to them um, you know mm. and I you know we were until COVID we were doing that on a regular basis and um, I was actually taking the head of our our processing center out as well too like we wanted to be really approachable um hmm. and to be accessible and uh because i yep. i yeah it is a passion for me um definitely well, i could definitely hear that out of, you know <laughs> the way you're, you're talking right so um i'm i'm gonna i'm just gonna i suppose um most of my co- yeah, i'm trying to be mindful in terms of time yeah 100%. Um, with regards to the podcast so i'm just gonna jump ahead uh now and just just talk to you about your current role sure um, because, you know, when I first joined the third party industry, they, they, I'll be honest, I don't think there was even one um, uh, female head of, of a, a lender. Mm. Um, and and you're, you're my first guest who actually is a head of third party. Um, wow, that's for, awesome. For thank you. So, no, no, thank, no, thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful for you to give me this time to, you know, to have a chat to you in terms of your mindset and your passions and so forth, right? So, um I, I guess I guess what, what, what I'm, I'm trying to ask is that um, the way you see your uh, the business or the industry as it is now do, do you see it different from when it was when you sort of you know when you first came in say with the Aussie uh, home loan side oh yeah absolutely absolutely um, and look I think um, the thing that I'm very conscious of and, and look you know the, the guys that are out there in the third party industry at the moment, um, you know, it is a really hard slog and, and I say that mm. from the point of view is, um, you know, I'm so conscious that they're under such a heavy burden of compliance. Um, you know, every time you turn around, you, you, you've got compliance that you have to do and it's not just about, you know, being able to sit down and have that right conversation with a customer and understand what they want to do, which, you know what, in the majority, it's always the 80-20 20 rule and and the majority of mm. brokers we have they're great brokers and they're they they are um very passionate about doing the right thing by their clients and helping their clients um achieve their financial objectives and um many of the brokers yeah. i know have got not just first generation but second generation customers so you know the kids mm. have grown up and the kids are now lending with them um and so it's not necessarily a case that you know anyone was doing the wrong thing but you know so much has come off the back of this royal commission and everything else that's transpired and we've now become so heavily regulated and we're spending i think if any broker weighed up the time how much time do i actually spend with my customer trying to help them achieve the objective and how much time do i actually spend on the paperwork side of it um we're so heavily weighted on that that paperwork um side of it and you know, some of the conversations I've had with brokers, it's exhausting for them. Um, yeah, it, it is pretty appalling, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I could kind of see where the original uh, Royal Commission conversation, that was originally at Banks, makes yeah. me, you know, uh, sort of almost left field. It, uh, is it they, 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 they dragged out the poor broker and said, hey, look at this. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah it, it, it is. It, it's, still, it's still weird to me, um, in a sense, because, you know, uh, yeah, a bank's not going to tell you another bank's offering a better rate or a, a yeah. product that 
better fits you, right? Whereas yeah. a broker, that's what they do day in, day out. But Yeah. Huh? And I mean, it's interesting because I do remember, like, and this is a oh, number of years ago, and um, and again, in that same sort of circle, you know, having a chat to some of the brokers and, you know, just sitting around having lunch and just, you know, chin-wagging, I guess, about the industry mm-hmm. and where that might go. And, and I still remember calling out um, at that time that, I highly suspected that we could get to the point like a financial advisor where we essentially have to provide a statement of advice um, based on a conversation that we've had with a, with a customer about, you know, what we're doing for them. Um, hmm. And, you know, if I'm looking now at where we're getting with bids um, or, you know, some of the, um, and the bigs, you know, the broker interview guide um, that, that some of the, um, the lenders have put into place and, um, you know, articulating and documenting all of the requirements and ob- objectives. Mm. When, we're not quite there where we've called it a statement of advice. Um, Might as well be one. But, uh, but we're not but that that's far it. off yet. No, yeah, we're exactly. not. So, I, I find it also a bit weird too because, like, let's be honest, most, most people looking alone. Um, mm. They're looking at rates, mm. and most people are most likely uh, due to life events. They'll mm. they'll change every two to three years anyway. Mm. But yet, a, a broker is almost having to sit down and, and go right. This is this is what's going to happen over a thirty-year term. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I, I kind of think that's unfair. But uh, but anyway, that's that's another conversation well, I, altogether. Well, yeah, it is. I guess, and uh, I guess mm. the other thing too is. Um, uh, just in relation to that, like, I, and it's and it's interesting because I've had a few conversations with brokers as well too. They've where they've kind of said, well, you know, rates the last thing that comes up from our customers, um, and uh, you know, they talk about all the things that they want to achieve, and so mm. we're trying to make sure that we're putting them into a product that is going to best suit all of those needs from the outset, anyway. And so that's what they're focused on. They're focused on really what that customer is trying to achieve matching it to that and then sort of saying to them look in that in that parameter these are the options that you've got along with that comes these rates um, mm. you know and if you really want to be focused on rates and uh, rates and fees well then you might have to make a decision about what what features or what flexibility or what objective it is that you want to compromise on to try and get the best of both worlds now you know, these guys have been doing this for years. Um, that's a part mm, of mm. putting your customers uh, first and making sure mm. that they have a product that will suit them for the next five years. And I know a lot of my brokers, and even when I was uh, um, a BSM with Connective, a lot of the fact finds that um, that were there that the brokers were using was all about, okay, let's have a look at what are your objectives for the next one year, two years, three years, you know, and out to five years. So they were kind of working mm. on a five-year plan. Which mm. you know, in in a lot of cases, we do see customers working on that sort of three to five year plan and what those objectives are. And you know, let's face it, for anybody buying a, a new home, you know, you blink and two years are gone anyway. Um, so, you <laughs> yeah, know. Uh, yes, yes. So. <laughs> uh, not especially the anyone who's bought a home plus uh, having small children. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. That's mm. exactly right. You buy your new home, and the next thing, usually within twelve to eighteen months, you sort of your focus is taken off because, you know, the new babies come along or, mm. but, but so, you know, a three, three to five year plan and, and having that conversation, you know, um, was a sensible thing to do that back then. And that's exactly mm. what they were doing because they wanted to make sure that whatever mortgage their client had, they knew that they were going to be comfortable in that for the, and achieve mm. what they wanted to for that period of time. So, um, so, you know, I think, 
they weren't not doing it in the first place. I think, um, yeah. but I think the problem with it too is, and like you said, it's a whole different subject. But I think we have to be careful under the way that you know the the the, the RG guide that's come out. Um, I think we have to be careful not to interpret it, interpret it that we have to offer the cheapest rate and the cheapest fees, which I know most of you, your listeners could, in the majority would understand all of that. But yeah, um, it won't. It won't be. It'll be. I think the hardest part will be the interpreting what is in the best interest exactly, of the customer. Exactly. And, and that that is that is just such a wide interpretation, which is the biggest problem, I think. Well, it is. And then, so, funnily enough, to that point, um, one of the questions that came up from a, a broker not that long ago, um, a question came from their customer about mm. ethical lenders. So they wanted to make sure that the lender that they were working with, you know, wasn't financing, you know, coal or this or that and, you mm. know, some of those aspects. So and then and then that came into that whole conversation. Well, does that does that form part of a, a customer's best interest as well? So how does mm. that position? Um, and funnily enough, I've noticed more recently that there are more and more lenders on their websites now calling out um, whether they are an ethical lender in inverted commas um, mm. so it's actually now on the front page of their website so it's interesting to see how all of this is evolving indeed indeed so um now i think we're at the 41 minute stage <laughs> um i'd love to get you back because obviously i, I think we're going to just scratch the surface uh, in terms of what we I, I wanted to achieve on this podcast to be honest um <laughs> Now, I, I'm, again, very grateful for you providing your time uh, and uh, I'd love to, to, you know, to have you come back and, and just have a chat as a kind of like a, a leadership talking head, what yeah. you think is happening. Because, right, you know, look, we, uh, Australia came and officially became, um, went into a, a, a recession yes. uh, two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, we have issues uh, in different states about lockdown and restrictions and borders. Yes. Um, this has huge economic impacts. Yep. Um, right. So then, then we got um, a potential. Well, it is not a potential. I think it is, is very likely uh, issues with uh, people losing their jobs, uh, properties mm. going up for sale, and then obviously property uh, prices dropping. And and by all indicators, I did a, a Friday wrap this morning. Um, mm. And by all indicators, actually Queensland is a pretty good place to be. <laughs> um, so uh, I think I hope I that's not be just because of the AFL Grand Finals. <laughs> Oh, look, that, that question there would go right over my head because I didn't grow up in, in Victoria. Ah, um, there you go. <laughs> but uh, more, more, more looking at just the data, I mean, because yeah, obviously Victoria got hit the worst with regards to the stage four, which yeah. means that, look, it, 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 you don't need to be um, smart to realise that a lot of businesses go under. Yeah. Um, and then which impacts the employees and, and so forth, which is, is, is massive. And mm. whereas I think um, from statistically speaking anyway, it was more affordable to, to be in Queensland. Um, the jobs and, and uh, uh, wage growth actually is the key mm. word. The wage growth was actually one of the best in Australia. Mm. Whereas uh, wage growth actually went backwards in uh, you know, New South Wales and Victoria. Mm. So, um, you know, Queensland and actually WA is, is actually a, going to be uh, the places to look at, I think, in the, in yeah. the very near term. Um, but I'll, I'll have to come and ask you for your opinion later on. I would love to come back and uh, continue that conversation yep. and, um, yeah, definitely have a look at what's transpiring because I think that um, we, we still, to your point about scratching surface, I, I don't even think with the transition that we're going to see with the changes from COVID, um, I don't even think we've scratched the surface of that. And the other thing that I find so interesting is that, 
you know, in the middle of a pandemic, we've seen some of the greatest growth in terms of inflows um, with uh, across quite a lot of our lenders and particularly mm. in the volume of business coming from third parties. So mm. um, it, it's all, yeah, it's, it's a really peculiar time at the moment. So I'd love to come back and, and have a chat and look what that landscape looks like in, uh, yep. in a couple of months. Absolutely. Trace, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you.